Hello, I'm Lisa Smazarski, Editor-in-Chief of Stylist, and welcome to our new podcast, Stylist Live Sessions, recorded at our annual festival of inspiration. In this episode, you'll hear from presenter Clara Ampho, author and podcaster Aloni, writer Annie Lord, and psychosexologist Dr. Karen Gurney. They're in discussion with stylist Mina Alexander, and they're talking about sexual currency, red flags, and life after heartbreak. Despite being recorded live at the True Room Brewery on a Saturday morning, our panel had no holds barred. What follows is their frank and honest dissection of dating and desire in 2023. A word of warning, this might not be an episode to listen to if smaller ears are present. As this session is recorded live, you might hear a bit of background noise. But here's what our brilliant panel had to say. Could I have a quick show of hands if you've ever been ghosted or if you've ever ghosted someone else? Okay, that's almost all of us. Um, So I don't need to tell you that dating in 2022 is an absolute minefield. Um, I mean, I feel like we've got more options to swipe through than ever, but it's still really hard to find that person that you just want to spend a Sunday afternoon with. It's hard to get over people, and sometimes it's even hard to just have a really good sexual relationship with yourself. Um, Lucky for us, we have four absolute experts with us here today. Um, We've got the wonderful Dr. Karen Gurney, who is a clinical psychologist and psychosexologist. I was worried about saying that word. Um, And she's written a brilliant book called Mind the Gap. We've got the internet's favorite sex and relationships expert, Aloni, who's just brought out her wonderful book, The Big O. We've got Annie Rice. Annie Lord, who's a writer, and she's written a really beautiful debut novel um, called Notes on Heartbreak, all about breaking up with her boyfriend. Um, And of course, we've got the wonderful Clara Ampho with us here today as well, who is a broadcaster and is hosting a really interesting new dating show called Written in the Stars. Um, All the books I just mentioned are genuinely worth having on your bedside table, and the guys will be signing their books over on the Waterstone stage later, so do check that out. Um, But without further ado, please join me in welcoming to the stage Clara, Karen, Annie, and Aloni. First things first, I really wanted to chat about astrology and dating, which is, of course, the basis of your new show, Clara. And it's so fascinating to me. I feel like a lot more people are getting into it. Um, What do you think there is in people really being, like, fascinated about using astrology to amp up their love life, I guess? I think, you know what it is? We... Look, the modern world is, is so fast and, you know, I think dating, as we all know, has like, changed like, significantly in the past like, five to ten years with the increase of the apps. And I think we are so lucky, but also it's a gift and a curse to have everything be so readily available and disposable to us. Like, you know, if you want food straight to your door, boom, you can do it. Um, if you want to you know, get next day delivery from a company, you can do that. And I think we've, we've applied that same logic to how we date people. Yeah. And I think we can make really snap the quick decisions on what we like just for a picture or whatever. But I think when it comes to astrology, I mean, I've definitely learned, especially like doing the show, it just gives you, I think, a deeper understanding um, of yourself and I think so many things that we that we use in modern life are like based on things that are like thousands of years old and I don't think I don't think 
it's completely woo-woo, completely unfounded. Like, if you think about, I don't know, the moon controls, like, how the water moves. Mm. I mean, there is proof that it can affect, like, our menstrual cycles. So I don't see why we can't apply that logic to, you know, yeah. how we choose our partners. And also, I won't lie, it's just great when it, um, when it works in your favour. <laughs> So if I'm feeling chaotic, I could just be a bit like, yeah, I'm such a Gemini. <laughs> oh, Mercury's in retrograde. <laughs> yeah. We'll be like, yeah, that's very true. I was saying to these guys earlier, I feel like I use astrology as a bit of an excuse sometimes. But, but honestly, when you when you see like what Colin and Francesca and Michelle, the astrologers that I work with, like do, you can't help but ingest some of that knowledge. And it is truly, truly fascinating. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. Aloni, I don't know if you feel like astrology's popped up more as a dating mechanism or something to... Help us find someone we Oh, match definitely. With. Um, I used to think that it was just great for a chat up line once before, but <laughs> the more I think about it, the more a lot of my friends and even my followers love talking about um, astrology, star signs, and wondering if there really is a true match for them, depending on their birth chart, for example. Mm. So I do think that. Um, it definitely does hold a lot of weight when it comes to relationships these days. Um, I always say I will never date a Pisces again, personally. <laughs> I'm sorry if I've offended anyone. I'm talking about male Pisces, and never said of women. But um, that's just me personally, so yeah. <laughs> that's the red flag for you. Yeah, okay, noted, noted. Um, Dr. Gurney, Karen, um, I'm really interested in a lot of writing you've done about the orgasm gap. So I uh, wanted to ask you about that. Mm. I wonder what you think the most unhelpful thing that women in their 20s and 30s have been laid, led to believe about sex that we should try and unlearn. Gosh, yeah, this, we could actually do a whole panel just on that one subject. There are so many. But for anyone that's listening that doesn't know what the orgasm gap is, it's the fact that when women have sex with men, they're much, more, much less likely to have an orgasm than when they're masturbating or having sex with other women. So it's not about anatomy, it's about the way sex happens. Mm. But I think the most important thing really about particularly women in their 20s and 30s, who I see loads of in sex therapy clinic, mm. is that from a young age, women are, of course, socialized to not be too assertive to put other people's needs before their own, to put up with bodily discomfort. Mm. And that, combined with the kind of societal view of sex that we're given, and that kind of patriarchal view of sex as being something which really privileges male pleasure, male anatomy over women's. So I'm talking here about penis and vagina sex being seen as real sex and everything else. And the language we use, words like foreplay, words like virginity, are all language that underline the idea that penis and vagina sex is real sex, mm. which just doesn't benefit women. So when you combine these two things, you then have plenty of women in their 20s and 30s particularly finding themselves um, having sex that looks very different to how they masturbate. And if anyone's doing that, I would ask you to reflect on it. Mm. Like, why is the sex you're having with someone else looking very different to what gives you pleasure alone? Mm -hmm. And then having sex with others and thinking, I'm not having orgasms as much as I should, I'm gonna fake it because I don't want them to feel bad. There comes in the putting other people's needs before your own. Mm. And ultimately, finding themselves not being as rewarded by sex with someone else as they could be, which then affects their desire over time. So there is so much I could say, but I think it's, it's much bigger than how sex happens. It's about how women are socialized. It's about the patriarchy. It's about the position that women find themselves in, particularly in relation to men. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And you're right. There's so much to unpack. Um, Annie, I feel like you've written quite a lot about the male gaze um, in the realm of dating. Um, is kind of that what I should be doing or how I should be behaving in a relationship something that chimes with you? Yeah, definitely. I think recently I've been really trying to not... I think I find it quite hard on a date to not just immediately morph into what I think they want me to be like. And then after when I'm like talking to a friend about how it was, I'm like, oh, I think they liked me or something and not thinking whether, whether I like them or whatever. And it's like it happens without me even wanting it to. And just at the minute, I've been trying really to focus on like being myself and ask and like, yeah, talking about what I want to talk about. Um, what's that? Yeah, it's like John Berger says, doesn't he? It's like... Uh, oh, I can't remember the quote, but there's something like women, they don't just look at themselves, they look at other people looking at them. Mm. Like, you're constantly aware of being, how you're appearing, and it's, it's really hard to get out of that mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, on top of all that, the socialisation and stuff, obviously, this year, the past few years have been tough, the world feels tough, and I think that makes it especially hard to tap in into desire and pleasure. Um, do you guys have any tips on how we could do that? Mm. Tap into our desires a bit more. Tap into our desires. I think it's about being radically honest with yourself, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, just going back to what you were saying, I think it's so, um, it's so scary how um, we can quickly adapt to what somebody expects us to be just because we're so sort of like, I just need that bit of love, I just need that bit of attention. So if I just do this, then everything's going to be okay. And you can really neglect yourself. Mm. And I think it's about just being radically honest and looking at and saying, what do I actually, do I actually even like this person? Do I like me? What do I think I deserve? Because I honestly think you attract the love that you think you deserve. Mm. And I think anybody in this room can say, like, you know, they've been in some bad situations because you haven't really been feeling like you deserve the best and that's not to say that look, if you've ended up in a bad relationship it, it's, it's all your fault of course but I think unfortunately um, you know I think vulnerability is a beautiful thing but unfortunately some people can, can manipulate that vulnerability and I think it's about being really honest about what you truly believe you deserve yeah. mm -hmm. and reflecting that back out into you know mm. the partner that you choose yeah I think that's really good advice and I think just adding on from what Clara was saying, I think thinking about people particularly who might be in a relationship, noticing changes in their desire in the last few years, because um, we're talking a little bit about dating, which is great, but there's also people who are noticing less desire for the person that they want to feel desire for. And I think there's two factors going on there. The first is that we know that as a society, we're having sex less every decade than we were the decade before. Mm -hmm. And there is something about the pace of life and the way we use our time now, which affects our desire. So thinking about the amount we use our phone, the amount we need to be distracted, because we know that desire thrives in that kind of quiet time, which we don't often give ourselves. But also with COVID, I think there was this expectation that we were all going to be having loads of sex. With, <laughs> yeah. If we lived with someone else, of course, it was much, a much uh, different situation if you were dating. Um, and that just didn't happen because what's happening in the world affects our desire as well. Mm -hmm. And the impact of stress and the impact of being with someone 24-7 is not good for desire. Yeah. I think it's nice to hear that as well because it often feels like we can blame ourselves or it can be a personal failure if we're just not feeling it for a particular period of time. But when you explain it like that, of course, it's difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, 
Aloni, I'll direct this question at you because I feel like you've written a lot about it in your brilliant book. Um, but what would you say is the best way to tell someone you are having sex with that you're not getting what you want? Ooh, um, so I like to often refer to something known as the... Um, we're not allowed to swear, are we? The, <laughs> the shit sandwich. And um, it's, I'm sure we're all familiar with it. And for those who aren't, it's when you kind of like put bad news in the middle of your sandwich... So you start off with the positive. So it might be, oh, I really enjoy when you caress me this way. Or I really enjoy when four players like this. I wish we could actually improve this, that, and the third. But I also enjoy when this is happening. Does that make sense? So I think that is a good way in expressing, you know, when you're not getting that satisfaction that, mm. you, that you'd really want. Um, that's one way to go about it. Another could be... I don't know. It could be, I mean, for example, even in my book, The Big O, there's different ways I teach women how to communicate, and not just women, anyone, um, how to communicate to their partner in the bedroom. There's a list of different um, sentences that you can use to approach your partner. And if you don't want to use those sentences, it can be a tip from my book, for example, like um, a sex act that you might read. And you might think, oh, I really want to try this. So what you do, you take a screenshot of it, and you send it to your partner and say, hey, I really want us to try this. I think it would really improve sex in the bedroom. What do you think about it? And then you create a conversation from there. That's you using different ways to communicate and approach the situation. Mm, yeah, that's really great advice. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about meeting people in real life versus online. Obviously, that's like the crux of dating right now. Um, this meet-cute dream that was sold in rom-coms that is still very ingrained in my head, I don't know about you guys, do you think that's a dream, that's a myth now, or is that still doable? I don't know, I think, like, um, I think we've all become a little bit scared of each other, and, that, like, it almost feels like chatting someone up would be, like, inappropriate, because, like, it's, like, romantic time and socialising time have become split, and, like, when you're out on a night out, I feel like that's when I'm, like, with my friends, and I don't even, like, sometimes I'll wake up the next day and be like, oh, there's quite a lot of cute guys there last night, but I didn't even see it, because it's, like, I've become so split, and, like, but then I think, I, I feel like you can do it. It's, what I try to do is, like, chat someone up, but in the way that I could not be chatting them up, I could just be really friendly. Mysterious. Like, oh, like, you know so-and-so, my man, like, that kind of thing. Sorry, I'm trying to take my earrings off. I think they're matching them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's still true. One of my friends actually met someone the other day. Um, he was getting on the train and this girl had like a bag of like farmer's market stuff. And he, was, and he was like, oh, nice turn up. And then she was like, ha ah. <laughs> And then <laughs> they were like flirting on the train. And then he, he was like, I really feel like I like went on a lot more dates with her because I was like so wanted that to be... The origin story. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think they are dating anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sad. Sorry. Yeah. Hope the turn up turned out well. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder if any of the, any of anyone else has thoughts on maybe online dating making things a bit more difficult or easy to meet someone. What do you think? It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, I think it can be. It's it definitely has its pros and its cons. Mm. I would say that one of the cons is that sometimes we see people as disposable. Exactly. We don't take into we don't really understand that there is someone behind that profile photo. 
So for that reason, it's so easy for people to ghost, bench. Um, what other terms are we using today? <laughs> I can't keep up anymore. Babe, remind us what bench is. Benching. I think benching is when you basically, it's like having the term reserves. in game, but having a reserve, right, exactly. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. It, you know, if the person that's your first pick isn't really cutting it anymore, you're just like, well, there's that person that was benching. And then you, you know, you slowly come in and say, hey, what's good? But um, yeah, I feel like that because of the way we date today, we kind of treat people as they're disposable mm -hmm. and that's not a good thing. However, I do feel like it has really changed the dating game. I know so many success stories where people have met on different dating apps and you know they come across people that they'd never met no matter how many times they stepped out their house because you know, your average person likes to do the same thing over and over again. And I like to tell people, if you do the same thing over and over again, you're not going to get different results. Mm -hmm. um, so I do feel like it definitely has a lot of benefits. And I really do wish a lot more people would get into online dating because mm. there's just so many amazing people that you can come across. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And if they say Pisces, you can avoid them straight away. They, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Stay away from the Pisces. And the Scorpios. And the Scorpios. No shade, no shade. <laughs> Um, Clara, mm. let's go back. I don't, you'll have seen that a lot of us have been ghosted or we have ghosted someone, <laughs> including you by the sounds of it. Um, what's your advice if someone has completely ghosted you and you were oh. quite into them? As someone that's been ghosted a few times, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? Going back to the conversation we're having about, I guess, like, you know, self-love and validity, don't go back to the scene of the crime. Mm. As in, you, if somebody <laughs> has chosen to, you know, essentially delete you from their life or not even give you the respect to say, you know what, I don't want to see you again, don't ask why. Yeah. Mm. Don't ask why, because I think it's, it's picking at a wound that, you just, that doesn't need to be picked at. Um, and honestly, again, I know it sounds so cliche, but I think you've, just got, to bring it, you've got to bring it back to you because I think... Listen, getting ghosted is, is always going to happen. It's the recovery. That, 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 that's, the, that's the issue, isn't it? Like, how do you bounce back from that? Because I, there's definitely been times when, you know, I've been seeing a guy and then, like, all of a sudden he's, like, become Casper. And I've been like, oh, but... And I want to message him. Like, but can we talk about it? Like, what happened? Da, 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 da. And I just realised it's, it's, it's not worth it, you know? Because yeah. I think if somebody can't see your value you know, from the start, like, you, you shouldn't be re-triggering yourself, like, you know, trying to... Because mm. I, think, I think we can do that. I think a lot of us, I think, romantically can get off of being, like, trauma-bonded to people as well. Mm. And I think, you know, because not to get too deep, but I'm sure, I'm sure as, as you know, Doctor, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, a lot of our desire, I think, is based on stuff that's happened to us in childhood. Yeah. You know, and the type of people we're attracted to, and, like, you know, what turns us on, you know... Even like when we think about phrases like, oh, you know, that person's like a bad boy or like a bad, a bad girl or whatever. Like, there's, we fetishize being attracted to danger. Yeah. And I think there's something about when somebody says, I don't want you, there's a part of you that thinks, oh, mm. but, but I want you to. And, yeah. it's, and sometimes it's not even about that person, it's actually about you. Mm. So I would say when it comes to being ghosted, like, um, Honestly, as hard as it is, like just don't get back to seeing the crime. Yeah. Keep, keep it pushing and just keep just keep radically loving yourself. And honestly, and as, as and I say this quite flippantly, but go go where the love is. You know. Mm. 
I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think if you're not going to get anything good out of it, why put yourself through it? Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also really ties in with what Clara's saying with how you then are during sex. Mm. Because it can be really difficult to assert your boundaries or ask for something which you feel is out of the norm, which, by the way, isn't. Mm. Just... Uh, with someone that you're feeling is on the edge of not hanging around. Mm -hmm. So that they all tie together in that respect as well. Mm, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's really interesting. Um, actually, Karen, I wanted to ask you about something you have written a lot about, which is sexual currency. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that and why it's important? Yeah, so um, sexual currency is a, a kind of term that came out of a lot of the work I was doing with couples, actually, mm. where <coughs> they were coming to see me because they were concerned about not having enough sex, which is the number one reason people seek sex therapy. Um, and one of the things that I noticed is that a lot of people frame their sex life in a relationship as being like an on-off switch. And the on is like the couple of minutes a week or a month or however often they're having sex that they're actually performing the act of sex, if you like. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the time, their sex life is off. So they're not doing anything to relate to each other the rest of the time as sexual people. They're really good housemates, they might be good co-parents, they might be great friends, but all of that is kind of desexualizing the relationship. And sexual currency is a term that kind of refers to that middle ground. So not the on-off, but the rest of it. It's the stuff that you wouldn't do with a friend or a, a family member. You know, the flirting, the bum grabs, passionate <laughs> kissing, sending a text saying, I'm thinking of this. The stuff that Aloni was talking about, sending a screenshot. Mm. So it's not having sex, but it's all the stuff that connects you as sexual people. And at the start of a relationship, sexual currency is really high. So people do loads of that. They spend hours kissing. They send loads of, like sex texts, they, they spend loads of time looking into each other's eyes, telling each other how hot they are. And that tends to decline the longer you've been with someone. Mm. And it's really common for people who come and see me, for example, to say, we just don't passionately kiss anymore. And that's not something we do. We only passionately kiss as part of sex. Mm -hmm. But without that sexual currency, you've got no scaffolding. Mm -hmm. You've got nothing that can move you comfortably from watching The Crown to <laughs> having sex. So how do you get there? It's actually really difficult to go from here to here yeah. without anything in between. So sexual currency is something that if people are interested in learning more about, it's, it's super easy to up the sexual currency in your relationship and to create a culture shift where that becomes the norm again. Mm. Yeah, God, that is so true what you say about like the on or the off but there's obviously a sliding scale of desire and relating to people on that level yeah. oh, there's so much to talk to you guys about I'm like <laughs> looking at the clock um, Annie I want to talk to you about heartbreak because you wrote so beautifully about it in your book um, I think lots of us would love to hear what the most important thing you've learned about how to get over someone or how to move past a relationship yeah I don't know, I, I think it is, it's, it's weird because so much of it is just time. I don't think like there's anything that you can, everything people say to you like feels really bruising. Like even when they're like, oh, you'll find someone else. You're like, I don't want to do that yet. Or if they, mm -hmm. I remember the thing that I found most upsetting was like people was talking about like how I'd get over someone or that I'd forget something because like the idea that you in order to move on, you have to forget what you had. It was so painful to me. Um, and it's like, it stops being painful when you get there, but yeah. <laughs> you have to get there first. So I think it is just like one step in front of the other and taking it really slow. And 
And also that, like, you know, grieving and stuff like that, is, it's not linear. It goes... Because I remember, like, y you know, years later, like, getting really upset about something. Be like, why am I still upset about this? But it's like, you were always almost going to get upset at that point. It's not yeah. backwards. It's just part of the whole thing. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to think about it. So you're not feeling like, oh, I've walked three steps forward and now I'm yeah. back where I started. And I also think, like, not ever thinking of it as, you know, the relationship fails because it's like it sort of worked for a time and then it stopped working or, you know, that you, something went, might have gone wrong, but it's, it's not, I don't know, it's, it, it's what happened then. It's not like you messing up because so many relationships are so good for like two years and then they, they mm. stop working, but that doesn't mean it was like bad that whole time. You can still have taken so much from it. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if you guys have any tips on kind of how to move past heartbreak. It's a big question. Ooh, I think mine is the no contact rule. Okay. Mm. I think the no contact rule is really powerful and um, it takes a lot of discipline because I know sometimes, um, and the no contact rule to me also includes no stalking because I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know some of us, um, we want to check up on what they might be doing or just, you know, sneaking around to like see what they could possibly be up to. Um, but I think the no contact rule is also, yeah, it's definitely a powerful um, rule to apply to someone who's going through a heartbreak. I think surrounding yourself with friends, mm -hmm. picking up a new hobby, doing something that can keep you really busy as well, doing something that you never really had the time to do, use that opportunity, um, mm -hmm. exercising. I think there's studies, you're the doctor, so <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's studies I'm sure that tell us that um, exercising mm -hmm. is also um, a good way um, you know, I think it, what it gives you, what, what is it? It's like the new hormones, yeah. exactly, yeah, the hormones, really exactly, that help you as well. I think that, and there's just, yeah, there's just so many things you can do. But um, ultimately, I say keep yourself busy above all. Mm -hmm. And um, if you want to cry as well, cry about it. Do whatever it is you need to do. Um, if it means also um, speaking to a therapist, speak uh -huh. to a therapist as well. Do what is needed to help yourself, but be patient with your feelings and be patient with your heart. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's about allowing yourself time to grieve as well, because again, I fully agree with you. It's about yeah, keeping busy, you know, doing that glow up and like, yes. you know, doing that 2.0 version of yourself. But Getting your hair you've cut. Got, but you've got to do the hard <laughs> stuff first. And, I, and I'm, I'm a big advocate for therapy like anyway, but particularly around breakups, I think they tell us so much about ourselves that we're actually nothing to do with the person who broke up with yeah. us in the first place. Yeah. You know, um, and I think, yeah, I think t talking to somebody about, you know, why you love the way you love and like why you require certain things in relationships, I think it goes beyond the person that you were dating. Mm -hmm. And I think it actually just makes you form a better relationship with, with, with yourself. And again, I know it sounds like a broken record, but it goes back again to truly understanding yeah. um, what you deserve. Because honestly, if it wasn't for my first breakup, I don't think I'd have half the confidence that I have now. Because I had to, because I think they, they, when they, they call breakup reasons because I think they, they break you. Yeah. And you have to, you have to, <laughs> literally construct yourself, yourself together, together. Yeah. but I'm actually very grateful to my first boyfriend for dumping me. <laughs> no, <laughs> seriously, I am. I'm being, de I'm being deadly <laughs> serious because I think I just, I wouldn't have given me the wherewithal and the courage to, to, to face myself yeah. properly enough to learn about, you know, yeah. who I am. And if you think about a lot of mm. art that we, we're provided with, if you think about the Adele's of the world. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of heartbreak does produce a lot of great content. Yeah. Mm. And it's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be no so, good songs. What I'm, yeah, what I'm saying is that use that heartbreak and use it to um, allow you to um, find something that makes you feel good, 
whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah, that is brilliant advice. Um, you're so right. I feel like you can really get into your Adele singing along to that album and feel it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And maybe yeah. also separating out what the grief is about. You know, how mm. much of it is about the person, how much of it is about the life stage you're at and what you're grieving about where you thought you were going with that mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. And how much of it is about practical things that you're losing because of that person. And that might help to adjust to the loss of that person. That's it's true. not just about them, yeah. it's about what your hopes and dreams were with them about your life. Yeah. And, you know, the loss of access to their, I don't know, gym membership. Yeah, Netflix <laughs> account. Yeah. I've had a lot of people from my past using my Netflix account, I'm sure yeah. I'm rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, off the back of your excellent point about therapy, because it is grief and it is a huge adjustment, mm. um, I feel like kind of classically therapeutic words like toxic traits or red flags or narcissism are like common parlance these days. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know if you guys think that that is a helpful thing. Um, I feel if you apply it properly, like don't just call someone a narcissist because they've asked you to take a photo for them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, do you know what I mean? I think like if you use it correctly, mm. then I don't think there's anything wrong. Um, I feel like red flags are important to use because it creates conversations amongst your peers, amongst your friends, um, um, even between lovers or people who are dating, I think, you know, having a conversation like, what are your red flags, you know, or what is a green flag? You are allowed to talk about green flags as well. What is a positive sign that shows that this person is worth my time? Or what is um, a red sign that tells, me, or maybe an amber sign that tells me that I need to be careful. Mm -hmm. um, but I do feel like, um, yeah, a lot of these words are a bit overused. Mm -hmm. um, but I would definitely say, yeah, when it comes to terms like red flags again, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with it. Mm. Um, it does create better com conversations and it helps build your boundaries. Mm. Yeah. I'm with Aloni here as well. I think if you're using language to open up conversation, like what are red flags, what are green flags, if that's opening up your awareness or the awareness in, in, with someone you're dating, it's useful but often we use language to close things down. And when we reduce people to a label, we close down our understanding. Mm. And so I think we should be really cautious. I'm not a big fan, as Alonia was saying, of yeah. using some of those other terms in a way that stop us understanding. They just, we label someone and then that's the end of it and mm. we walk away. It's not that helpful in that context, I think. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's a very good point. Um, would each of you have a major red flag that you'd recommend people avoid with <laughs> a potential partner? Ooh, a red flag. I'm thinking, what is a red flag? Ooh. Ooh. If you still talk to your ex. Um, I, I think there's nuance to that. No. I'm, not, I'm not completely anti. <laughs> no. No. It, 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 I think it depends. Okay, yeah. if it was like, if you dated when you were like 15, yeah, maybe. Mm. But <laughs> that wouldn't oh, work. A decade ago. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't but, work for lesbians. Everyone yeah. knows everyone. That's <laughs> true. The LGBT community is very small. But um, yeah. Um, I'm okay, what is a real red flag for me? Um, I would, yeah, I don't know. You're going to have to come back Ooh. to me, yeah. Um, I think one would be, in my personal experience, somebody that, um, that trash talks their ex, Ooh, but yeah. on, on early dates. Because mm. um, I, I remember I was seeing a guy, and I remember he said to me, dead in my eye, he was like, oh, my God, you're like literally the, the most least crazy woman I've met in, like, the longest time. Oh, no. And I remember, at the time, like, I won't lie, because, again, we're, we're all a work in progress. A bit of me was like, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> 
but then obviously with retrospect, I'm just like, no, that was a red flag because the fact that you had to tell me that these women are crazy or whatever, and I think, I think particularly in heterosexual relationships, I think a big red flag is any time a man has told you that his ex is crazy or was crazy, it's usually A, because he probably made her that way. Yeah, right. Let, let's call us yeah. and, and, I, and I think that we need to interrogate that. Yeah. You know, because listen, no one's perfect. We're all rolling through this life, you know, reacting to our past traumas and our tr past triumphs. And yet maybe she was a bit crazy, but again, maybe you added to that, or maybe she's going through something. But to bring that information to me, somebody that you're just getting to know, mm. I, think that is a I think that's a big red flag. Yeah, that is such yeah. a good one. And mm. that, like, you're not like other girls. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's not, let's not yeah. do that. I think they say it to make us, I don't know, like, to see how deep our internalised misogyny is. Like, oh, if I say this, like, does it do something? No, it doesn't do anything. It tells yeah. me a lot about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It tells me that you think I'm going to get off by that and you see it as a compliment. Yeah. It's just, and it doesn't work. Well, it shouldn't work. And if you do hear that, that is a red flag. But that's, again, yeah. it just feeds yeah. back into that whole sort of, like, pick-me, yeah. you know, mentality. Like, oh, not like the other girls. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Dry. Um, maybe, like, promising a lot and being really, um, like, love-bombing type behaviour. Because I feel like that... You, when you're hearing it, it's like you're hearing everything you want, but then... Um, often those people it does just completely poof and they ghost <laughs> yeah. so I think I'm quite suspicious of that behaviour maybe mm. I don't know because I was thinking about this but I don't know if it's a red flag but just like I feel like so many of my friends in relationships the main thing they talk about is like the guy not doing as much in the house or not cleaning up and like the domestic stuff but I don't know if that's a red flag because I don't know if that's something you can really spot <laughs> early on yeah, <laughs> but, but like I suppose you have to be like seeing them before you can notice it a bit but that definitely is really annoying especially if they're like always going about feminism and they never like do any domestic no, stuff that's, that's yeah. annoying. <laughs> it's like so when women say you know again speaking of it, it, within a heterosexual lens, because I'm very aware of the diversity and inclusion <laughs> of this audience and this, and this panel, as we should be. Um, you know when you see women and they're like, oh yeah, he's so good, he really helps out around the house. Like, he's not supposed to help out. Yeah. He's a co-parent. He's like, yeah. you've got, you know, I've, I've always yeah. found that. Really, like when should, people, are, men are babysitting their children. Yeah, we yeah. Should, I don't think we should fetishise Okay. Yeah. yeah, like clap for basic yeah. life skills. <laughs> and yeah. a really interesting fact about that is that mm. we know from sex research that when there's an equal division of household labour, there's higher levels of sexual satisfaction. Of course. So the direct yeah. correlation between who does what at home and how good sex is. So yeah. super important. That's really yeah. interesting. Um, would you say, Karen, there's any big red flags that people should look out for? I think for me, and I suppose it's the psychologist in me, I think if you can't talk with someone and have them really listen and listen in a non-defensive way and be able to take alternative views on board, then I think that's a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. I think it's the source of a lot of disharmony later on, not just with sex, with all kinds of things. But I think you can get a real sense of that quite early on from mm -hmm. someone. It's quite a good tool at your disposal. Are they really interested? Do they really listen? And what if you have a different view? How do they respond to that? Mm -hmm. I think that for me would be it. Yeah, that's a good one. I feel like, I don't know whether it's off the back of the online dating thing, but people want to get into like deep topics with you quite early on when they first meet you. It's quite interesting to see how they navigate that. Mm. Definitely. Are there anything that you maybe should avoid talking about on a first date or is, are there no rules? <laughs> um, I personally don't believe about talking about exes mm -hmm. and even though I love to talk about sex, I don't like to talk about sex on the first date because I feel like, you know, that's just a bit... To me, if someone talks about sex on the first date, it, it 
makes me feel as though that's all you're after. Yeah. Or that this might turn into a situationship. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, I enjoy talking about sex, like, um, you know, on an educational level, on my podcast, in my book, of course. But I think that um, it kind of just tells me sometimes that that's what you're after. So I feel like try to stay away from it a little bit. Maybe mm. a second date or three. I don't know. But um, yeah, if someone starts, to, even on the dating app, if someone starts talking about sex straight away, you get a bit sc scared, yeah. don't you? I'm just like, are you a Hello. sex pest? Like, what is going on? <laughs> like, relax. Yeah. <laughs> So I think for me, that's my own personal. And I also tell my friends as well, like, come on, if he or she's talking about sex from the get-go, it kind of tells you where their minds are, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I would like to ask you guys as well, if there's anything that you've had to unlearn in the realm of dating or relationships. Unlearn? Yeah. Um, unlearn, I'm trying to think. Maybe like getting, a, I think getting better with rejection and not seeing it as like, because I think now you get rejected so much, like, you know, with ghosting and like, you might have like a really nice night with someone, but they don't text the next day and you're confused, just learning that it doesn't reflect on you at all. Mm. And like just becoming a lot more robust yeah. um, has been something I've been focusing on. And yeah, just it's not seeing it as taking away from your own value. Like, yeah. because sometimes you see people and they go straight into another relationship and you're like, oh, what's wrong with me? But I think it's just, so many other factors you're never going to know what that person's like going on in their head or their life that means they don't want to go on a date with you or go out with you or whatever mm. so yeah i think i thought of one which was that um understanding that men are not sex robots i remember early on in one of my first relationships realizing that men don't always want to have sex and putting this idea that men have this super high libido is just so false mm. and having to unlearn that you know, men don't always want to have sex and yes, they are sexual beings just like women, but again, they are not robots. They, they don't walk around with a hard-on all the time <laughs> and that is okay. And I think, you know, it goes into what you, you spoke about, like rejection, you know, like when a guy's just like, oh, I'm not really in the mood for it tonight, you're like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? I'm in this lingerie. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, what do you mean you're not in the mood for it? So I, yeah. I think that was something I had to unlearn and something that I also included in my book as well, mm. understanding that men also go through stress. Men can be on medication. Men might be unhappy. There's so many reasons. And the best way to find out as to why um, he might not be in the mood is to simply have a conversation because, of course, there's, you know, there could be, like, other problems such as erectile dysfunction or you know other issues that he might be facing so um you know talk to men about sex talk to men and communicate as well so they feel comfortable in sharing their experiences with you mm -hmm. that's really great advice yeah um in the realm of dating clara is there mm. anything you feel you've had to unlearn that you would Ooh. pass on I'm definitely with Annie on the, on the uh, issue around, I think, like rejection. Mm -hmm. And just the understanding, you never know what's going on in somebody's life. Yeah. There is, there's so much nuance to the reason why somebody may not want to date you and also why you might not, not want to date somebody, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think, I think I've also learned about date, dating. You've really got to, 
I think dating with purpose as well, um, and, under, and expectations. I think I've definitely learned about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes I think we can forget to date to just truly just understand someone and to know someone. I think a lot of, a lot of us have a tendency to date because it's just like, okay, great. Once I'm in a relationship, all my problems are going to disappear, yeah. and you know, I'm not going to be like lonely on the weekend, or I'm going to have someone to. I, 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 I've, I've known people. I'm sure we've all known people who would who would rather be in the most miserable relationship. Just they've got. A plus ones go to like yep. a wedding or a this or that and it's just <laughs> it's not it's not worth it and I, so I think the one thing I've definitely learned is dating the intention of just getting to know someone and enjoy that time for what it is whether it's going to last for two months two years or, or five years you just don't know yeah. but I think it's about taking out that sort of expectation of you know it's good it ha- it's going to be it's going to be my next great love mm. maybe it's just going to be someone lovely that I'm going to know for a little while yeah. and, that, that, and that's okay and that's okay yeah, yeah I think that that is really wonderful advice and something I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm hope someone's taking notes for me because there's been so many gems <laughs> we're all a work in progress so we're, all, we're all a work in progress <laughs> absolutely being kind to yourself as That's you say it. is the bottom line well I could talk to you guys about these things for ages but it's been really lovely to have you on um, thank you so much do tune into the very exciting written in the stars on hey. discovery plus from November 27th That's which it. would be really exciting um, but please join me in giving a huge round of applause to our wonderful panel I got you. well i think we can all agree it's good to hear that everyone's been ghosted at least once and it's never really about you i'll take that to heart i hope you enjoyed mina's conversation with the brilliant annie lord aloni dr karen gurney and clara amfo If you want to share your thoughts, visit stylist.co.uk or follow us at Stylist Magazine on social. And don't forget to subscribe to Stylist Live Sessions to hear more of our inspiring talks from The One Show's Alex Jones, philosopher Alan de Botton, author and comedian Adam Kay, Fern Cotton and many more. Thanks so much for listening.